Welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle, Hot Off the Press podcast, where we bring you the latest higher ed news and stories twice monthly. I'm Joe Trano, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chase Good. We're with Barry Dunn's Higher Education Management and IT Consulting Team. Chase, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. It's another Friday. It's another um, episode of uh, news and higher ed, and uh, we're going to be talking about a few topics um, that, uh, that you found in the news. Um, the first is adults without degrees seeking more education. Interesting story there. And, and we're going to also talk about um, education department canceling uh, student loans for a large group of individuals. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about cybersecurity. Some interesting stories that, uh, uh, that you found this week. So let's just uh, get started. What do you, uh, what do you have in, in the first story there? Yeah, Joe. So getting right into it, um, this past week, the Chronicle of Higher Education uh, released a study that showed that more than half of U.S. adults without degrees are wanting more education. And this is a survey of 350,000 people um, from the Strata Education Network. It showed that 60% of adults who don't have college degrees are wanting more education, but that they want that education to more commonly come from their employers rather than a college or a university. Now that's not to say that, you know, universities might be able to capitalize on some of that, um, you know, desire from those people. However, that may need investment into more career specific skills and, and you know, courses, programs, and things like that. Um, the survey also showed that interest greatly varies by age, race, and location. Uh, the greatest interest coming from those between 18 to 24 who are people of color in urban residences. However, the greatest interest for all ages was uh, from Asian respondents. Some other key takeaways from the article was that uh, 46% of respondents said they needed additional education to advance their careers. 53% said they were very likely to enroll in some type of course or training in the next five years. And 44% said a guaranteed job placement or pay raise would greatly increase their likelihood of enrollment. Now, I think, you know, I already mentioned this, but too often, you know, people who are developing courses and, and programs at universities aren't seeking to capitalize on this market because they view it as, you know, a non-primary target for their student enrollment, you know, continuing education only really applies to a certain group of people. However, you know, it's still, it still should be noted that more than 60% of Americans don't still don't have college degrees. So, you know, there is always going to be a market there. Second I mean, I, story. I, heard, I, I was just going to add, Chase, that um, that 60% number is just incredible to me. I, I'm, I'm just um, blown away by how how high that percentage is. I would never have guessed that. I would have thought maybe a little bit lower, maybe 30 to 40%. I'm curious, um, and maybe this is something for another, another episode, but it would be interesting to kind of um, dig into that a little bit more and understand why that number is so high. What, what are the constraints uh, for, for adults not having degrees? Is it financial? Is it interest? Is it uh, family? You know, it, it would be interesting just to understand what that is. And I don't know if that data is out there, but um, that's a that's a really high number. Yeah. And, you know, speaking to that, I also think it's interesting that, you know, if you could look historically at, you know, education rates, we're at the highest, you know, percentage that we've been at in a while. But at the same time, we're still seeing enrollment declines in higher ed. You know, schools are still having to, you know, 
manage that issue. And especially with the enrollment cliff coming in the next few years, you know, there's, you know, people are having to, you know, make the correct adjustments. But I, I agree with your point that it would be interesting to kind of look at, um, you know, collegiate enrollment trends, both driven by social factors, as well as economic factors, and, you know, general population dynamics that would maybe contribute to some of those. Yeah, I imagine understanding that that data will help, I think, uh, organizations and the government really um, develop programs to help uh, decrease those numbers and really make uh, college more accessible to everyone. Um, but yeah, that's that's a great story. Thank you. And Joe, speaking of accessible colleges, you also have to be careful because the second news story that we are going to talk about is the education department canceling yeah. $4 billion in student <laughs> loans to those who attended ITT Technical. So there were 200,000 students that attended the university or the Technical Institute between 2005 and 2016, which was when the um, you know, program shut down. And the action was based on, quote, that the, that the college was engaged in widespread and pervasive misrepresentations related to the ability of students to get a job or transfer credits and lying about the programmatic accreditation of ITT's associate degree in nursing. So it's, you know, kind of a classic misrepresentation of the business and, and kind of what the students were supposed to get out of it. I remember seeing those ads on TV where, you know, it was saying something crazy about, you know, how how high their job placement rate was. And, you know, it's also, you know, something that they've seen elsewhere. You know, DeVry, DeVry University was another example because they were, um, you know, forced to pay $24 million, uh, in the same sort of claims for students who attended between 2008 and 2015 again, due to widespread substantial misrepresentation about job placement claims. So this is this means that the DO, uh, the Department of Education has canceled, um, you know, nearly 32 billion in student loans in the past year alone, which is, you know, still an incredible number. And I think, you know, largely driven by the pandemic. But now we're seeing other, you know, sources of that with, you know, institutions just, you know, being a little bit dishonest when they're talking about the business model. Yeah, I um I'm familiar with you know these for-profit institutions um, and and the bad rap they get, and this is a good reason for that. I'm not saying that all for-profit institutions are uh, in this camp, but certainly, um, you know, it's a bit of a conflict of interest. You know, if you're trying to increase enrollment and uh, prof profitability, really drives a lot of that, or that drives a lot of profitability in these institutions. I think that's um, creating a lot of uh, a lot of these situations. Um, but that's incredible that that number, 32 billion to be canceled uh, since 2021. Um, I'm sure that um, you know we we hear of we hear of stories of um, of you know family and friends that that are paying back student loans and they've been paying for years and they still have you know years to go. And um, those those loan numbers are um, really difficult to, to knock down um, quickly, and it impacts the ability to to really live um, with with significant loan numbers that you're having to pay each month. I think there's been a little bit of a uh, respite over the last couple of years with the with the loans being paused. I think that's helped um, folks um, a little bit, but the loans are still there and they still have to be paid. So. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next uh, next few years. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, Joe, especially given that tuition rates are increasing. You would think that that's also going to increase the demand for you know future loan forgiveness programs. So it's almost like you know the more expensive the school becomes, the the digger they're the bigger the bigger the hole they're digging themselves into. Is that a new word, digger? Which Something is bigger like that, and digging yeah. a hole, bigger <laughs> digging the hole. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, you know, I um, I I have student loans. Uh, I'm not afraid to admit that. And um, you know, I took out a loan for my uh, graduate program. And, um, you know, it wasn't a significant amount, but I know, I know friends that have, have gone to medical school or law school, and they have huge six-figure um, student loans. And the monthly payments, they're paying a minimum, or they have been paying a minimum, but they're not making a dent in that larger uh, number. And so it's, it's a challenge for people, and, and just getting out and starting a career and starting a family you know, some of these loan payments have us pay, having to pay these large uh, monthly payments is making a significant, having a significant impact on people's uh, ability to, um, to to start family or start career or buy a house, for example. So it's dropping a lot of people know that. But anyway, yeah. um, what what is the third story? It's related to cybersecurity, right? Yeah, yeah. So getting right into the third story, um, the, uh, Whitworth University recently experienced a cyber attack in late July. And, you know, this is, of course, not something new, you know, that higher ed has been experiencing at an increasing rate over the past few years. You know, there's been 15 cyber attacks on universities already in 2022. And that's still, you know, an increase from 2021, you know, when they saw, you know, a massive surge. So uh, a little bit more about the attack on Whitworth or the, the ransomware attack was a total of 1,715 or 17, 715 gigabytes of data was stolen. Sorry, restart. A little bit more about the uh, cyber attack against Whitworth was that a total of 715 gigabytes of data was stolen um, by a ransomware group called Lockbits. And the deadline of payment was the 23rd of this month. Um, so they haven't released the sum of the ransom yet. Um, but the biggest frustration uh, that has been you know, widely published is the is that coming from students and faculty. So the university, um, you know, they, they consistently called out was not very transparent with some of the events that had occurred. And, you know, I think there was probably a lot of uncertainty at the time. But the, the biggest thing that was cited from students and faculty was that the university just wasn't forthcoming with a lot of the information that they knew was available. So, you know, that led to people not being able to access their accounts or, or access their information and, you know, really just created a lot of you know, end user errors, especially when school is about to get started. So, you know, I, I can imagine that the university was, you know, under a lot of pressure and maybe wanted to save some face at that time. But, you know, it really didn't reflect well in the media. But this is also coming on the he heels of, you know, a massive surge in ransomware attacks, especially from what we saw last year. You know, there were 74 or 74 percent of ransomware attacks actually succeeded in 2021. And the average payout was a little bit over a million dollars. So there is a, a growing market for this. I hate to say it like that. But, you know, attackers see this as a soft target because, you know, these types of organizations may not invest as heavily into some of the firewalls and protections that, you know, you would see it, you know, more private industries. But, you know, I think it just kind of speaks to the general trend that we're seeing is that 
you know, cybersecurity attacks are increasing and, you know, institutions are, you know, have to um, manage this going forward. They're going to have to prepare for it. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And we're, we're seeing that, you know, the Department of, of Ed is, um, you know, really upping the requirements for institutions that are accepting financial aid to have very specific uh, cybersecurity measures in place that they have to be compliant to particular frameworks, that they have to have individuals assigned to focus on cybersecurity, and that there's reporting um, reporting guidelines that are necessary as well on an annual basis to the boards. And so we're seeing, a, a, I think, a, an increase in maturity across higher ed. Um, a lot of it's being really driven by, um, by the Department of Ed and being a requirement for uh, continuing to receive financial aid. And um, that, that's, I think that's a good thing, but to your point, institutions still lack um, the sophistication, they lack the, the resources really to, do, um, to do, do what they need to do really to minimize their risk as much as possible. So it continues to be a challenge for higher ed and as you as you stated, um, they continue to be a uh, a target for bad actors. Yeah, and and you mentioned the Department of Education being you know a pressure factor, but also the insurance agencies that are responsible yeah. for each of these colleges. Because another thing that the article mentioned was that you know all of the ransomware attacks that had been orchestrated in the past year, they've all received the institutions have all received insurance payouts. But as those increase, these insurance companies are also going to be putting pressure for those investments and resources and really, you know, ways to mitigate the risk of cybersecurity or cyber attacks. Yeah, that's a good point. We we um, we are seeing that and institutions are um, you know are seeing increases in cybersecurity insurance. And um, that's a big factor and, and certainly um, cyber cyber insurance companies are requiring even greater um, requirements um, as far as independent assessments and having the having the policies, procedures in place and, and really demonstrating that they're a lower risk uh, to, to these companies, these uh, cyber insurance companies. Um, I imagine it, it's not an easy business to be in, uh, especially, especially in light of a lot of the payouts that we've heard about. Um, and so, yeah, it's unfortunate that this has occurred at Whitworth. And I know that um, in, some, in some respects, there's um, a requirement to, to really provide as much information as quickly as possible when these type of um, breaches occur. And uh, colleges and universities are required, I think um, in some cases, to report these uh, very quickly, like within a day or two, they need to be reported to Department of Ed. And I don't know if that's the case here, but um, certainly uh, we're seeing a lot of this. We're seeing an increase in these type of attacks. Mm -hmm. Well, Joe, I have one last news story before we, we get done today, and that's uh, from the tech crunch. And it's uh, you know a bit of a lighter story, but there's a tech startup in India that's raised $35 million in initial first round funding. It's called Sunstone. 
It's a startup that collaborates with institutions to help upskill students for employability. So there are thousands of management institutions in India, and many struggle to attract students, primarily due to an outdated curriculum, uh, which makes it hard for students to land jobs. So Sunstone is seeking to fill that gap in the marketplace by offering a wide range of additional courses to help students get jobs. So they prioritize soft skill courses and campus life programs so that students can improve their quality of education. And they're really targeting uh, MBA programs by offering 600 hours of a potential 900 hour MBA degree in India um, that can be uh, you know, provided through their program. So, you know, really that's where they're, they're trying to focus on right now is making sure or helping Indian students get jobs, uh, you know, when they, you know, exit you know uh, the institution but also the company has seen 10 times or uh, a growth of uh, 10 times you know in the past two years and uh, is beginning to look into uh, technology and engineering programs so I think you know Sunstone may be on the lookout and you know as we see more you know tech firms start to, to enter the market it's always going to be interesting to uh, you know look forward to how that actually affects the whole marketplace that's an interesting story. Are they focused in the U.S. at all, or they're just starting in India right now? I think they're just starting in India right now, but we could see them be acquired by a U.S. firm or some of their techniques, you know, be emulated by other U.S. companies or potentially by some of those, um, you know, education providers that are, you know, the for-profit kind of models. Yeah, great. Well, um, some great stories this week. Um, Chase, appreciate uh, appreciate uh, you joining me again, and uh, I look forward to uh, our next episode um, in a couple of weeks. So for our listeners, uh, if you wish to read more about these news items, please refer to our show notes uh, for links to these stories. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Check back in two weeks for more higher ed news and stories. Until then, stay well. Take care, Chase. Thanks, Joe. Okay, so I definitely learned my lesson. <laughs>